The following sermon was recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org. My name is Shine, um, really Sunshine, um, and um, I'm one of the elders here. We've been going through First Peter uh, for some time now. Today's passage, First Peter chapter 4, verse 7 to 11. Let me read it for you. You can follow maybe in the projector screen. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be clear-minded and self-controlled so that you can pray. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others. Faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, he should do it as one speaking the very words of God. If anyone serves, he should do it with the strength God, God provides. So that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. You know, some people work best under pressure. I am like that. I like these last minute things. Somehow I become a genius, I feel. (laughs) There's a special urgency that comes into my mind. I feel so focused, so sharp. I can work 24 hours without getting tired because... I'm in the flow, or the flow is in me. I'm definitely more committed to the task at hand. Now, you know those people who can't leave for very long, for many reasons. I know I'm speaking in a context, everybody is thinking about death, destruction, somebody is going to kill. Just move that away from your mind if you can for a moment but those people who are dying or expecting death because of cancer or sickness or something unavoidable who might know that their end is very imminent and it's very close the the doctors can't say for sure when you will die but what change in the person is the perspective that he's going to die. He don't have enough time. And they can get their priorities right suddenly. They think, what I want to achieve, what I want to do. You know, this passage brings my calling into light when I committed for my ministry. I committed to responding to the call of God to come out for ministry. It was a time when I was working with Red Cross 
it was the time when i was so confused what's going on in the world i was part of a friend team relief work where we go as soon as a disaster struck and we will go and start gathering people who are killed tag people who are injured and there are people whom we tag with red tags that we know we don't have time to save them they're costing us few lives so knowingly we tag them red they are not dead yet and sometimes when people keep seeing this they get hold of my hand and say please i'm only bleeding you can help me and i'm not a doctor but just from experience we just make a decision and it's very sad sometimes i have to sit next to them and say sorry you're going to die i can't help you and then i see this calm or sometimes this peace after a quick panic comes on to them and sometimes they hold on to my hand so tight and i sit next to them and they'll keep telling please don't go please don't go and i say no i'm not going i'll sit with you and some incidents we help them die that warning that that sheer realization that he is going to die is just paralyzing especially for the person who is sitting next to him but for the person who is dying he usually accepts okay what i can think and it seems like they sometimes think very clearly things that they've never thought things like what will happen to me when i die they want to speak they're bleeding they're in so much pain they will ask questions like can you help me and that's an occasion i try to pray for them or say a word of comfort or say you know you will be in paradise if you accept lord as your savior talk about jesus now the bible always sounds a note of warning and it's always there but we don't realize it because we are just caught up with our life we don't feel the urgency of living as if our life is going to end or the lord is coming back Peter here is actually saying when you know that your life is going to come to an end there is a certain way to live there is a certain way to react there is a certain discipline we as Christians should conduct ourselves now Peter gives his readers some very practical instruction on how to end your time on this earth okay and this is what i'm going to focus on while i was preparing one of the commentary said maybe we should say that he's giving a bible b i b l e basic instructions before leaving earth well for me it's all true about the whole bible <laughs> and it contains some counsel wise counsel 
Peter has already told his readers that to live for eternity. Never forget when you read a passage, the context and the pressure and the power of the words that is coming to them. For us, maybe we cannot even relate what these people are going through. They are like the Afghans, the Iranians, the Syrians who are running for their life. I don't think we can get into the shows at the moment. At the moment, we can think only all of them are terrorists. Yesterday, I was reading this, just a sidetrack. Yesterday, I was reading this uh, newspaper article, which was putting some statistics in. In the last two years, the number of Muslims killed by terrorist attack, if you compare the whole number of people, only 2.6% of them is Westerners. Other 95, more than 95% is Muslims who has been killed in terrorist attack. Those people are running and we call them refugees, criminals, whatever we want them. They are running for the land. And that is the context here. There was a persecution which brought out, uh, broke out in Rome. People are spreading, scattering. And here is Peter coming and telling them, Forget this. We got an eternal life. You can have focus here. You can have realistic application of your discipline here. I don't know how that is possible, but that is exactly what Peter is doing. And in that context, he is telling them to leave them for it, uh, leave for eternity. Now that is our essential perspective towards time. That will help them maintain right, righteous living in the face of persecution. But there is another perspective that is essential as well. Accept suffering and commit yourself to the will of God. Very strange. Very strange today. How can we do that? I'm very, I'm very ready to accept comfort, not suffering. Why should I suffer? I have a right to be free. And I find these words coming when you live in an urgency. The need for urgency of commitment because the end of things have come. Now, if it was true for the first century Christians, where time and again you see in the New Testament how each writer has called them to say, the end is near. The time is about to finish. The end of all things is going to come. The judge is at the door. And sometimes, now I look back, I think, was he talking about their life? Or was he talking about the world? Because when we say end of things, we only think, when is the world going to end? It's a big fascination. There's actually a website, you can, it's called uh, Death Time or Death Clock. You can put in your name and the information they give, and you answer some questions, they will tell you when you're going to die or when the world will end. And actually it's a website page that reminds you every day the time is slipping away. Website reminder. Some people take that seriously even though they don't take Bible seriously. Throughout the epistle, Peter has been laying the foundation for this perspective towards time. That we are in the last days 
and must live accordingly. Chapter 1 verse 5, he says, Salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. 1.6, trials and sufferings only for a little while. 1.13, very parallel, link eschatological hope with urgency of commitment to holiness. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled. Set your hope fully on Christ. In verse 120, uh, chapter 120, it says, Christ was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Chapter 212, he says, Live good life, because day of visitation is coming. Chapter 4, 5 he says the judge is standing at the door. Christ is holding himself in readiness to judge the living and the dead. That's what we saw last week, isn't it? Preaching to the Christians who are already dead. You know, maybe Peter has fallen asleep in the garden of Gethsemane. Do you remember that? There was this direct request or invitation from Jesus can you please stay up can you please watch and pray because the time is coming that your world is going to turn upside down he really didn't believe that just like us where was his sense of urgency as Christians, where is our sense of urgency? Now, we know that it, this kind of warning is a very conducive passages to preach doom and gloom and God is coming, repent you sinners and you know, I shouldn't say anything. Um, you know, you can go on and uh, judge everybody around you. I'm the only one who is going to heaven. But it all comes with a challenge to watchfulness and irreproachable behavior. God is concerned about our ministry. So Peter has written about such important subjects as being serious and watchful in every respect. Practicing hospitality, above all things, sharing fervent love with one another. In other words, Peter turns its attention to practical ministry within the body of Christ. Now, this is where I have difficulty being a Christian. I find all these fantastic, comforting verses. And I've recently even written in one of the papers where I was talking about legacy, what I want to leave behind. You know, something I always find is there is amazing things that we read. And somehow we feel that we can relate to these things. Yes, love one another. Yes, be hospitable. Yes. But in reality, it's like a railway track. It's just like the scripture is here on this track. And we relate to it in kind of a short-circuit connection every now and then. And we are on this track. Where we are going parallel with it, seems like all eternity. Where we say the things that we want to do, 
We want to obey and we want to please God. That's in this track. But when it comes to the rubber touches the road, there is this disconnection. That we take on our lives. We make our life. We make secure our life. And everything when we want to talk about this thing working, this word of God working, we turn to it only in need of extreme necessity. If we are that kind of a Christian, this passage is going to be very good for listening. Because we can't relate. I remember growing up to be a Christian. I remember hearing all the passages and the messages spoken from the pulpit. I couldn't relate to it. Because the people whom I was with, they were very materialistic. They were very wealthy. There was no correlation. But they were Christians. I was part of that family. And somehow it keeps going like this. And I want to call my identity Christian. I just want to put it there. It can be, it can be so hard to leave what Peter says if we have a railway track in our life, in, especially when it comes to religion, scripture and faith. We can't have two tracks. That's gone. That was before. The pretension. Pretending to be a Christian. Pretending to be somebody we are not. Now we are died to Christ. We, we all are dead to Christ. We are his disciples. There is no two life. What you read, what I say, what I leave, it's all the same. And if that is the case, if we can at least get there, or strive to get there, then this passage is going to be powerful. This passage is going to transform Chiang Mai. Because they are going to witness something incredible. They are going to witness an urgency among the people of God, who wants to live like Jesus wanted us to live. It starts in verse 7 by saying, be sane and sober in prayer. Then it goes to chapter, I mean verse 4, 8. It says, have unfailing love for one another. I don't know many of you. But I like these words. I don't love so many of you. Because I don't know you. But I want to pretend that I love you all. Just like some of the politicians or rock stars say from the beginning, I love you all. <laughs> then verse 4-9, it says, Be hospitable without complaining. Very hard for me. And verse 4-10-11, it says, Serve one another. And verse 11 is like a goal. In all this, we will glorify God. Now, I, have to, I want to run through this. After mentioning Christians who, who has died in verse 6 and 7, then Paul refers in verse 7 to the imminent return of, of Christ for his church. The end of all, all things is at hand. Therefore, be of sound judgment and sober spirit for the purpose of prayer. Another benefit of suffering is that it keeps us focused on eternity. 
It's when you're going through tough times, difficult times, seasons of suffering, pressures and persecution that you long for heaven. That you long for God to be with you. Good times, nice things, and easier days have a tendency to shift our focus off away from eternity. It's when the tough times come, when the when my body hurts, when my heart breaks, or my wallet is empty. Sorry, that we say I don't belong here. I'm just a passing through. I got a home beyond this world. Fortunately, the end is near. That's the way I look at my life. It's near and it's closing in. The shortness of the time remaining to any and all of us is a motivation to leave and serve Jesus. So, scripture urges us to be prepared for the end of our life, whether it is caused by the return of Christ or by our death. Now, this is where I want to bring back the context of today's world. People don't know when they are going to die. And it has become more real these days because of terrorism in home and afar. It's no more a news somewhere far away. Yesterday I heard 80, more than 80 people were blown into pieces in Afghanistan. Before that, a guy went on a rampage in killing in Munich. Is that right pronunciation? I don't know. Munich, maybe. But the point is, death is everywhere. It might be while you're shopping. It might be while you're on the plane or while you're on the train. I'm scaring you now. But this is the reality today. You're not secure. So what are we going to do? We can build a bunker underground and stay there all the time with all the life supply because of terrorists. That is not what Christians are all about. But I feel the messages, the non-clarity of mind is pressuring us towards that kind of a mentality. Kill all Muslims. Let's, let's stop this people group. They, they're killing everyone. Don't become intoxicated by what's happening around you. We need to be sober. We are the people who need to keep clear head to see what is really happening. Don't feed to the propaganda of ISIS. We are saying the things exactly they want us to say. This is the time we need to think in clearly. This is not the time. Yesterday or day before yesterday, I was seeing this. Somebody is holding a play card in one of the Republican convention saying, thank you Lord Jesus for Donald Trump. Help us to kill all the Muslims. Definitely that person has nothing to do with scripture. I know. But the truth is, people are becoming completely intoxicated. They can't have a clarity to pray. They're scared. My leadership teacher was telling me their amagdala is being hijacked. They're going to fight, flight, or run. You know? We need to change. We need to be relaxed. 
about the situation. Because we are living in a sense that every day is the last day. Next moment is the Christ going to bang at, you know, in front of our door. That he is coming for us, for his church. If we live like that, what are we scared of? Terrorists? Car accidents? There's a lot of hope. Let me put that encouragement there. We are living for eternity. We can't control life. I have seen that personally. People like us who had dreams, who had, who had so much plans for the future. Went because of a wave or because of the earth shaken. or They're just like us. Normal people. Life is not guaranteed. So we should live our life in the fact that our end is near. Such perspective help one recognizes how many activities don't make eternal difference. So many of what, sorry for being negative, but so many of us what we Christians do is little more than you know, rearranging the chairs of some big hole. The question of eternity is when Christ returns, will he find us asleep at the switch and reclined in leisure? Or will he catch us diligently working in urgency? He asked us to be disciples and make disciples. Teach them his word. I want to say some more things about today's church. You know, Eugene Peters and many of you know in his book, A Long Obedience in the Same Direction, he writes, It is not difficult in our own world to get a person interested in the message of the gospel. It's very easy. I can do it. I am a charmer. I can speak to people and make them interested in what I'm saying. But it is terrifically difficult to sustain that interest if what we say and the way we live is not the same. Thousands of people today make decisions for Christ. But there is a dreadful attrition rate. There is Many people backsliding. Many claim to have been born again, but the evidence for mature Christian discipleship is very slim. There's a great market for religious experience in our world. That's why many Westerners are becoming Buddhist. They are after all these New Age moments. Many Easterners are trying different spiritual experiences. There's a huge market. People are lost, confused, they are seeking. But there is little enthusiasm for patient acquisition or requiring of virtue. There is little enthusiasm for little inclination for real Bible discipleship in what earlier Christians called as holiness. Very big word for us, for me, sorry. Jesus said, be ready, for the Son of Man is coming. At an hour you do not expect. Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. 
God in his wisdom doesn't tell us the day of our death. Nor do we know the Christ's return. Not even the Son of Man. The Bible urges us to leave for Christ and be prepared for either event. We are reminded of what Martin Luther said when asked, what, what you would do if today is the last day for the whole world? He replied, he would plant a tree and pay his taxes. What Luther meant was, of course, that he lived every day in the light of the end. And hence he would do the appointed task of that day. Now, there is this, there is this lack of sober-minded to catch the extreme. Okay, Jesus is coming, so I am not really not a citizen of this world, so I don't have to do anything legally. This is exactly what Peter was talking all through the last weeks. Submit to authority. Pay your taxes. Don't think you don't have to pay taxes because Jesus is coming today, or you're going to die tomorrow. Be sober-minded. And that is the whole goal. In verse 8, he says, Above all, love one another. In view of Lord's return in victory and judgment, Christians are given the priority of life in verse 8. Above all, keep loving one another. Now, the reason it says because it covers a multitude of sins. And it's very interesting. You should. When I read this passage, immediately my marriage came to my mind. That's the best. Uh, forgive me, all the bachelors, but. I don't know how many things my wife forgives me. <laughs> because I can be so difficult. I can be difficult in the sense being selfish. I can be difficult in the sense not being aware of the needs of the kids. I can be difficult just being self-indulgent, what I like. And marriage is the best place to see how she still accepts who I am because she loves me. And somehow all the sins or shortcomings it just get overlooked because of her love for me. I think that is the best example that I can bring to you. See, a Christian's unselfish love and concern for others should be exercised to the point of sacrificially living for the welfare of others. For we are to love each other deeply. I mean deeply. The word used here is actually stretched or strained. It was used to describe one of that sore muscles of an athlete who strains to win a race. A good translation would be something like maximum effort. Holding nothing back or giving it everything you have got in loving one another. What do I say? Webster's new World Dictionary describes fervent as showing a great warmth of feeling or devotion. When joined together with love, the two words make the statement, 
above all hold unfailing your love for one another let your love be without reservation let your love be without hesitation let your love be without qualification such love is the most needed quality in the church where god's love permeates the lives of his people genuine genuine forgiveness becomes a reality past hurts and harmful actions are forgotten people will remove the scoreboard that has been keeping count of all of our mistakes if we really love one another fervent love peter teaches us is the incentive that promotes forgiveness cleansing and god's healing will come on notice that such love covers over a multitude of sins there are two interpretation about this about this covering the multitude of sins did peter mean that love covers or even love atones one's own sin but there is indication in the scripture it might be possible but we should reject that interpretation to see the love of believers as someone somehow atoning for their own sins no rightly interpreted it's said like this teach that the love of forgiveness of believers somehow atones for their sins now the second interpretation is preferable okay when believers lavish love on others the sin and offenses of others are overlooked that is what i experience in my marriage it's not that it doesn't have consequence it's not that you completely blind to the realities of somebody's sins it's not that you don't hold accountable to people and their sins it is somehow there is room for forgiveness there is room to overlook this fact we need to pray lord help us to love and accept others unconditionally we need to really plead for this we somehow make us believing that i am a kind of loving person you know i'm not a really bad guy i'm really nice to all the people but that is not what he's talking about here he's talking about going out of your way sacrificial maximum effort have you noticed that when we forget something it is just a little slip of my mind but when somebody else forgets it <laughs> you should ask my wife it's a gross negligence irresponsible when we snap at someone it's simply because we are having a bad day but if they snap at us we see them as mean spirited and if we are late for an appointment indian culture it's because of the hectic day but if someone else is late it's because being responsible not respecting me we may chuckle because we may identify with all these things at times in our life but isn't this the way we behave 
it's easy to condemn and criticize others for their shortcomings because i know because i do and completely excusing my own we all have faults no one is similar no one is perfect recently i came across a song called broken together it's almost fixed my marriage the song jay says that no you can't make it perfect because you both are broken well my point is she is not right she is wrong well it doesn't work married people you both are broken none of you are smart go to the lord and ask to so love <laughs> again this is just going i don't know how to convince you this is beyond me we're talking about a love that the way we should live and it's somehow feel otherworldly you somehow feel it's unattainable the next page the next verse it says be hospitable and uncomplaining this command requires us to go beyond nice and accommodating to others the, the primary reason for hospitality in this context was there were people scattering there were preachers flooding because of their proclamation of the gospel and it was basically for the christians when they fled one place to another it was a command by the apostles you receive them they might be strangers for you but be hospitable it's not to be nice actually what peter meant is give them shelter provide them food listen to them give a listening ear oh for me oh, this is too hard a teaching i remember visitors comes to us in chiang mai you can ask my men's group how i complain one of them one set of family when they came they come from australia but they're not connecting with the reality of who we are okay i'm already complaining can you hear that but they were fantastic people they're lovely people of god but they wouldn't turn off the air condition they wouldn't clean up they wouldn't lend a hand we are happy for them to stay with us of course you see how i am nice i'm very nice i'm letting them stay in my house but how very how can they be like that i wish they do something i hope you sometimes hear yourself this is what they don't want notice here it says extend hospitality without grumbling i don't know how to i'm very hospitable my house is open for everybody in the world but one day come they would in here i'm always smiling you know the thai culture <laughs> how are you how's your sleep you good uh, where are you going today yeah it's all nice but then i go to my men's group i go to my wife without grumbling be hospitable why why would we complain about having to help someone 
Maybe it is cost. Maybe it is time. Maybe it is inconvenience. Maybe it is that simply that person doesn't say thank you to us. The demands of hospitality are probably frequent and heavy frequent and heavy, possibly causing some hard feelings. You know, in this context, when he was asking them to do this, there were people living from hand to mouth. They didn't have four bedrooms and a secure stipend that comes every month. Put up with them four days? That was kind of the commentators say, at least three days. The same word is used in Philippians. Do all things without grumbling and complaining. Because it will be a shining testimony to those people who live in a dark, crooked and perverse world. What immigration they have here. What driving they have here. Think about all those things goes to our mind. Yeah. And it says serve one another. Serve one another in a way that is pleasing to the Lord. See, every, mini- every believer has given a ministry. Okay? And every believer has given a gift. I'm not talking about talents here, by the way, or your skills. I'm talking about spiritual gift. And Peter is very clear that this spiritual gifts we have to use to serve one another. Everybody has an ability that to equip us to serve God in a special way. God custom designed you for a purpose, for an assignment that only you can do. And God only made one version of you. I'm definitely sure there's no other shine. The world would be a difficult place. Notice that our gifts are to be employed in serving or enriching each other. All these gifts have something in common, or one thing in common. They come alive and develop in serving others. Ministry is not about us. Underline that sentence. Ministry is not about us. It's not about how hard I become a missionary. It's about Him. All what we are here. Why why are we here in Thailand? What are we doing here? It's because of Him. Not because of my humility, not because of my humbleness, you know, I have become a missionary to go, Lord, look at me. No, it's about Him. When we minister in some capacity, we become channels of His grace. Our fruitful service or our faithful service reveals God's grace to those around us. But the converse, but the opposite is also true. When we fail to do what God has called us to do, we restrict God's grace in our lives and the lives of others. Notice the warning in verse 11 that accompanies the exercising of our gifts. Whoever speaks, let him speak as it if were the utterances of God. Whoever serves, let him do so as by the strength which God supplies. The two provisions that we are to rely on serving God are God's words and His strength. And that are mostly the two things that we deny in our Christian life, at least me. Because, you know, if my family is comfortable, if the insurances are paid off, I am a bit more secure. And if something else happens on top of that, of course God is there. 
Well, I want to secure in my ability, my strength, to provide for my family first. See, there's not, it's not only that there are upfront gifts, there are behind the scene gifts. There are so many people, where is Imran? There are people like Imran who makes this possible for us. There are people who works behind the scenes with such gifts that serve the body of Christ one another. God has not called us to our duty or get by. He calls us to excel. God has not called you to Thailand to survive. He called us to Thailand to thrive. We have to be the people who should be lifting those who are blind, those who cannot see, those who cannot see the path. And we do all these things. You know, one of the things uh, Moody said was this, I am only one, but I am one. I cannot do everything, but I can do something. And that which I can do by the grace of God, I will do. See, with simple commitment like that, he was a Christian leader who brought England and America to a revival. George Whitefield says, he lay dying. And he says, Lord Jesus, I am weary. In your work, but not of it. There is a goal here. We do, we are asked to do all these things to glorify God. Okay? Why be sane and sober in prayer? Why have unfailing love for one another? Why hospitable and uncomplaining or not grumbling? Why serve as a good steward? So that God is glorified. It's not about us. So that it's a purpose statement. Everything we do is to give glory. God is to get the glory in everything we do. But it can't happen if we have a railway track in our life. In closing, let me conclude with our beginning thought. Time is short. Time is short. We don't have long to put this instruction into practice. There's an urgency. We need to start now. Right now. Jesus said in Luke 12, 35, 40, Blessed is the slave whom his master finds so doing when he comes. Or in other words, blessed is the servant who is doing what he's supposed to be doing when the master comes home. Do you need even more encouragement to get going? Let me read Hebrews 6.10. For God is not unjust as to forget your work and the love which you have shown toward his name in having ministered and in still ministering to the saints. Read that again. He is not overlooking what you have done. But we are unfortunately called to even a higher standard. It's hard. Because this is not our home. We should live circumspectively because Christ is coming again. We prepare to meet Christ by continually growing and service for God and others. Please don't grow weary in well-doing. We can never do too much for the one who did so much for us. So keep our eyes on the Good Shepherd and see the needs of His people. Let's serve in love. But remember always to do it in His strength for His glory. Let's pray. Lord, I just want to thank You.
for Peter, who seems to be so radical for us and our context, Lord. Lord, I ask that you would help each one of us to mature, to grow. Help us to catch that sense of urgency that you are coming soon. Help us to know our life is not guaranteed. It can finish any moment. Teach us to number our days so that we may have a wise heart, so that we may pray clearly, so that we may love one another, so we may be hospitable. Lord, help us to serve each other with our gifts. And I pray that we will together bring glory to you. In Jesus' name we pray. You've been listening to a sermon recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org.